Good morning, friends. Uh, Today's message is titled, Six Simple Words. In this message, we need to hold two texts together because one is really the key to the other. Let's begin with the words of Paul in Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, note the last part of that verse where Paul says, just as it is written. That means he's quoting from the Torah, the Old Testament. And where did he find the phrase, the righteous will live by faith? It comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Everyone agrees that this is the central verse of Habakkuk. It is certainly one of the most crucial verses in the Bible. Here is a verse that is so important that it takes three New Testament books to explain it. The phrase, the just shall live by faith, is quoted in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. And this is the text that changed the world. It first changed a man, and that man changed the world. Most of us know the story of Martin Luther, At one time, an obscure Roman Catholic monk who entered the monastery seeking to be set free from the heavy burden of guilt he felt because of his sin. Though he was an obedient son of the church, he found no rest for his soul in prayer and fasting and penance. His eyes were opened though by God when he studied Romans. And as he came to Romans 1.17, he pondered the meaning of the quotation from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. And reflecting on what this text meant in his life, Luther offered this testimony. He wrote, When by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. End of quote. When Martin Luther found this text, or more accurately when this text found him, it turned his life upside down. I mean, no longer was he willing to remain a simple monk at the monastery in Erfurt, Uh, Once the blazing truth of justification by faith gripped his soul, he ignited a fire that eventually spread throughout Europe and eventually to the ends of the earth. Yet this little phrase, these six words, the just shall live by faith, comes almost as an aside. In Habakkuk 2, God pronounces judgment on the wicked Babylonians because they are greedy and arrogant and bloodthirsty and ruthless, because they kill without remorse and give themselves over to that sort of evil. God promises to one day destroy them. But that day is a long way off. I mean, Babylon would not be destroyed for 70 more years. They still have a lot of looting and plundering left to do. Their end is determined, but it won't happen for a long time. Makes me ask, I mean, what do you do while you watch the bad guys steal and kill and behead their enemies? That's a question ripped from today's headlines. What do you do when the evildoers come to power? Well, the just shall live by faith. What do you do when your prayers go unanswered? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when your dreams turn to ashes? The just shall live by faith. When all you see is trouble on every hand, the righteous man remembers that God is still on his throne, and when the dark clouds break overhead, he says to himself, The just shall live by faith. Now, how much did Habakkuk understand about Luther and the Protestant Reformation? (laughs) Well, nothing at all. He understood these words entirely in the context of his own times. More than 600 years later, the Holy Spirit moved Paul to quote these words to prove that the gospel was no innovation, but had been predicted in the Old Testament. And 1,500 years after that, 
Martin Luther found rest for his soul when he understood the true meaning of the just shall live by faith. This is the verse that changed Luther's life. It's Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, in the previous verse, Paul declared that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, but now he explains why the gospel is so powerful. First of all, it reveals a righteousness that comes from God. And the, world, the word righteousness comes from the courtrooms of the ancient world. It means to declare not guilty, to declare someone innocent of all charges. So if you are righteous in God's eyes, you can stand before him and be declared, be declared not guilty. The gospel provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves. On our own merit, we all stand condemned before the Almighty. I mean, who would dare to say, I'm good enough to go to heaven? As someone has said, a clear conscience is the result of a poor memory. The only people who think they're good enough to go to heaven are people who don't know how bad they really are. See, righteousness is what we need, but do not have. God, knowing that we could never be righteous on our own, provided a righteousness that comes down to us from heaven above. It's not earned or deserved, but it is given to us by God as a free gift. The Reformers had a special term for this. They said we need alien righteousness. Well, the term alien means from another place. I mean, for example, when I visited Nigeria or Thailand or Haiti, I'm an alien in those countries because I'm from another place. And to say that we're saved by alien righteousness means that we are saved by righteousness that comes from another place. It comes not from within us as a result of good deeds, but from outside of us entirely. And where can a guilty sinner find righteousness? From another place? Well, he finds it in Jesus Christ. That's the alien righteousness that saves guilty sinners. I love that old hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Well, that leads us to a second reason why the gospel is so powerful. It's this. The righteousness from God is received only by faith. And the key word here, of course, is faith. Our text says righteousness is by faith from first to last. I mean, everyone who's saved is saved the same way. It is faith alone and faith always. How can I be right with God? The answer is simple, by receiving the righteousness of God that comes only by faith. We need this because we're all in the same boat and the boat is sinking. The Bible says in Romans 3, and 23, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I hope you notice that little phrase, no difference. In other words, there's no difference between rich and poor, young or old, or black or white, or male or female. We all stand condemned by our sin, and all of us are under the judgment of God. Now, our sins may not be exactly the same, but we're all sinners nonetheless. We're all in the same boat, and the boat has sprung a leak. If God doesn't do something, we'll all die together. You see, friends, we have a big problem with this because deep down inside, we secretly think that God makes deals. That if we will only try hard enough, do our best, clean up our act, play by the rules and treat people right, then God's going to let us into heaven in the end. But during a sermon years ago when I pastored Lord of Life in La Fox, Illinois, I was trying to explain the meaning of there is no one righteous, not even one. That comes from Romans 3.10. And to illustrate my point, I said, you know, there are no righteous people in Chicago. And then I added, there are no righteous people in the nearby suburbs. 
And then I said, there's no righteous person in the Fox Valley, like Geneva, Batavia, Elgin, Aurora, closer suburbs. And finally, I said, you can go up and down the streets of St. Charles, Geneva, Batavia, and you will not find a single righteous person, not one. The next Sunday, a woman shook my hand, and she said she wanted to ask me a question. I could tell she was concerned about something. And she said, you know, last week you said there was no one righteous in all of the Tri-Cities. That's true. I did indeed say that. And I also said there were no righteous people in any of the surrounding cities in town. Apart from God's grace, there is no righteousness to be found anywhere. Now, with a face kind of marked with intense concern, she said, but Pastor Barry, if you aren't a righteous man, what will we do? Well, her question was sincere, and I told her to listen again to the sermon, and she'd find the answer. You see, after telling this story to the congregation, I said I would show them the only righteous person in La Fox, or anywhere else for that matter, and I pointed to the cross on the wall behind our, our pulpit area, and I declared that Jesus is the only righteous man who ever lived. Jesus was pure, holy, and perfect in every way. He never sinned, not even one time. And though he was severely tempted, he never gave in. All the rest of us fall so far short that we cannot even begin to be compared to him. He is the only righteous man ever to walk this earth. And we crucified him. His reward for doing God's will was death on a bloody Roman cross. And here is the wonder of grace at work. From the murder of a perfect man came God's plan to rescue the imperfect human race. So if you want to go to heaven, you need to learn this. God does not make deals with sinners. If you come to God based on your good works, you're going to be turned away because you missed the mark of 100% perfection. But if we come to God based on the righteousness provided by the Lord Jesus, you will be accepted. Now, there's a third reason why the gospel is so powerful. It's this. By the righteousness in the gospel, men and women are declared just in the eyes of God. And to prove his point, Paul includes a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. Six simple words. It was this text, quoted by Paul in Romans 1.17, that ultimately shook Martin Luther to the core and brought him to saving faith in Jesus. Now, on this point, I just want to quote a little bit from a letter written by Dr. Paul Luther. He's Martin Luther's youngest son. He wrote about his dad. In the year 1544, my late dearest father, in the presence of us all, narrated the whole story of his journey to Rome. He acknowledged with great joy that in that city, through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he had come into the knowledge of the truth of the everlasting gospel. It happened this way as he repeated his prayers on the Lateran staircase. The words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind. The just shall live by faith. Thereupon he ceased his prayers, returned to Wittenberg, and took this as the chief foundation of all of his doctrine. You see, friends, from that unlikely beginning came the Protestant Reformation, and with it the battle cry, you know, sola fide, by faith alone. I mean, faith alone, not by works of the law, not by obedience to the church, not by human righteousness, not by baptism, not by good intentions, not by the sacraments, not by acts of charity. It's Faith alone, plus nothing and minus nothing. Now, what does it mean to have faith alone in this sense? Well, if you know what it means to believe a doctor when he says you need surgery, you know what it means to have faith. If you know what it means to step into an airplane and trusting your safety to the captain in the cockpit, you know what it means to have faith. 
If you know what it means to ask a lawyer to plead your case in court, you know what it means to have faith. See, faith is complete reliance upon another person to do that which you could never do for yourself. So, how much faith does it take to go to heaven? Well, it depends. The answer is, not much, and all you've got. If you're willing to trust Jesus with as much faith as you happen to have, you can be saved. But if you're holding anything back, thinking that maybe you need to do something to help save yourself, forget it. Saving faith is putting your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. In order to do that, you have to stop trying to save yourself. Now, somewhere I heard that believing in Jesus means trusting him so much that if he can't take you to heaven, you're not going to go there. I like that. If Jesus can't take me to heaven, then I'll never make it because I'm going all in on him. I don't have a plan B. Now, sometimes people say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now, that may be good advice when it comes to investing your money, but it's terrible advice for investing your soul. You see, it's okay to put all your eggs in one basket if the basket is labeled Jesus. So, friends, let me say it as plainly as I can. There is good news and bad news from our text. The bad news first. You have no other hope of heaven outside of Jesus. See, good works can't save you. Church membership can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Giving money can't save you. Keeping the Ten Commandments can't save you. Nothing you do will make the least bit of difference concerning your eternal salvation. If you are trusting in your good life or in your religion to get you to heaven, someday you'll be sadly and eternally disappointed. But now for the good news. Those who put their trust in Jesus are saved forever. That's the real meaning of the just will live by faith. I said earlier that we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners desperately in need of God's grace. The death of Christ provides the full payment for our sins. I mean, what we couldn't do for ourselves, God has done for us through the death of his son. The only thing left is to believe in him. And I pray that all who read these words, who listen to these words of this message, would take that to heart, to run to the cross, turn from your sin, lay down your self-will, and lay hold of Jesus who loves you and died for you. Throw yourself completely on Jesus for your salvation. If you trust in him with all your heart, he will not turn you away. You see, friends, it all comes down to six simple words. The just shall live by faith. That's the message we preach. This is the text that changed the world. And it all started with Habakkuk 2,600 years ago. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.